We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pack a Day podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Wellman, and joined today is Jimmy Christensen and Gage Bridgeford. And guys. Training camp is basically underway. Players are there. They're getting tested. It looks like we're going to have football in the fall. Fans are still in, up in the air going forward from November, but how excited are you guys that there's a good chance that we're actually going to be seeing some football this fall? I'm ecstatic, but I'm also still trying to not get my hopes up too high because I'll be devastated if we don't have football, so I don't want to get super pumped yet. Yeah, like Jimmy, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um for those that don't know, Big Ten like presidents are meeting today to discuss whether or not they should actually have a season. The Big Ten commissioner is in favor of a spring season over a, fa- a fall season. So, And if that domino falls, I think there's no way that college football happens this year. I understand that college football and NFL football are very different. but So, yeah, I would love to see football. Um, have missed it a lot since February. Um, but I, uh, I'm not, not getting all the way in yet just – just to not get completely crushed. Yeah, that, that's fair, especially with the announcement that the MAC is not doing fall football. They're going to be in the spring. They're, it's unknown whether they're going to have just practices and let guys work out together, but there is no football for the MAC. And it's been rumored that the other dominoes will fall 
throughout this weekend as well. So we'll see how that goes and whether that does affect the NFL, because it will at the very least affect the draft. That'll change things with if guys are playing in the spring, and that that's definitely a very different scenario for guys who are opting out already or guys who like seniors who might be playing in the spring. Would they end their seat? Would they leave their teams early if they were in the draft and got picked? So that there's there's a lot of variables there. But that's definitely a discussion much farther down the line. And so for today's topic, episode 746, last week we talked about guys whose careers were cut short early and if we could rewrite or redo some of those. And today we're going to take a, a similar beat, but a little bit different as well, as guys who left Green Bay who we wish had either stayed their entire career or at least finished their careers in Green Bay. We got nine guys, three of them apiece. And so... Jimmy Christensen, we're going to go to you first. Uh, who's the first guy for you that you wish had finished your, or played his entire career in Green Bay? Yeah, this one might be – I feel like some fans are going to be iffy on this one just because of how things have happened after he did leave Green Bay and just into his media career. And But I really wish uh, Greg Jennings would have finished his career with the Green Bay Packers. I – and I, I already mentioned, like, after he left, or after he left while he was in Minnesota, Miami, and especially after he retired, he didn't have the kindest things to say about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And I think that's just made people forget or kind of ignore how really good he was when he was with the team. Uh, anytime he played over 16 games, or played 16 games, not over, he had over 1,000 yards for the team. Um, he, in his final year, he... He was injured. He only appeared in eight games. He had five starts. Um, he didn't finish that well. But even with the Vikings in 2013, he almost had 1,000 yards. Um, so, I don't know. I think he I think he would have done much better if he stayed. Not I think. I know he would have done much better at the end of his career if he stayed with the Packers. And he could have probably went down as one of the fan favorites if he stayed. Well, absolutely. Jennings came in super polished out of the draft, a, a nuanced route runner already. He had the two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, including one where he took the big hit from Polamalu, who, like a lot of his past coverage, seemed to be late rotating in, but that's a different day. Uh, Gage, what are your thoughts on Greg Jennings, and do you, are you are you with Jimmy on this one? Yeah, I am. Uh, I think that Greg Jennings is a prime example of he didn't really have negative things. The only person that had negative things to say about Rodgers when Jennings was actually in Green Bay was Jennings' sister on Twitter. Other than that, guys love playing with Rodgers until they leave. Uh, Jennings was super polished uh, as a route runner. He was he had good speed. Um, he was a really reliable pass catcher. Uh, he had the propensity for the big play. He worked really well with Rodgers, and the chemistry they had was just outstanding. Um and it like it sucked like that he left and then that they left on such bad terms and he just has this disdain for Rodgers and if and you know if he's happy in life being that way that's fine that's that's his prerogative um it but like like Jimmy said if he had stayed he probably would have been a fan favorite um it everyone loved him while he was here there was never there was never any bad blood about him that that passing he was the lead guy in that passing offense with Jordy him, Randall Cobb, James Jones, and then Jermichael Finley. That that was one of the greatest collection of like passing talents that we've ever seen with Rodgers in his prime. So it sucks that he left. I uh, would have liked to have seen him stick around because I think that he could have been productive and could have helped that offense uh, continue to be one of the best in the NFL. So sucks to see him go, but that's that's the nature of the game. Do you think if he would have stayed, we would kind of remember him as, like, he would have the same reputation now as Jordy Nelson? 
I don't think he would have we would have had the same reputation as Jordy. Uh, I think Jordy just always held a special spot in fans' hearts, and I think that that kind of goes to this phenomenon that you'll see in basketball, like especially in college basketball, that one one really bad player at the end of the bench who only gets to go in during blowouts. Jordy was good. He was a great player, Pro Bowl-level player, but I think fans always had a special spot for him because they kind of identified him. He wasn't the greatest athlete, wasn't the tallest guy, the fastest guy, or any of that. But so they could kind of identify with him. Versus Jennings was a, a wasn't the biggest or wasn't the biggest guy around, but he just was seemed supremely talented, like and was a crisp route runner and all this other stuff. So I think people always would identify and like Jordy more than they liked Jennings. But um, I think that he would. I I don't think that people would hate hearing his name or hate seeing his takes on social media like they do. Well, that, that's a different thing as well. With, with If Jennings does stay, does Jordy have the numbers that he did? Because he, does he become the number one guy like he was after Jennings left? Uh, does Devontae Adams get drafted? Like, there's, there's a... With all these, all these things, there's definitely a butterfly effect involved. But also, I think, because Jennings also succeeded with Favre as well. Think of later in his career, you move Jennings into the slot, you have him and Cobb there. And that offense is even more dangerous with, with what Jenny could have done in the middle of the field. Plus, you had guys like Driver there as well. But it, it, it definitely is a fascinating situation. And, Jimmy, I'm with you, both you guys as well. I think I would have loved to see Jennings stay. I, I really like him. He's one of my favorite players. I still have one of his jerseys in my closet right now. And, and it was kind of sad how everything split apart. But when he was there, he was always kind of that happy-go-lucky, smiling, having-a-good-time type guy. And it would have been great if we could have seen that his entire career. But mo- uh, moving on from that, Gage, you have another receiver that you you, thought, uh, you came up with. So who do, who do you got? I have one of my favorite Packers of all time. And he didn't do anything special for a long time. He had, like, one really, really, really good year, and that's Javon Walker. Uh, we talked about him last week and guys that uh, had their career cut short for various reasons, whether it was injury or something else. Um but I, this this guy I loved watching him play. Like that, we talked about it last week. That 04 season was just something special. 189 receptions, 1,382 yards, 12 touchdowns. He had great chemistry with Favre. Um, he gave them a downfield threat, and just he could help at all three levels. Um, it was just it was so fun to watch him play, and he was so natural, and he looked and he looked the part of that next alpha receiver. He's 6'3", 215. That's, that's what you want. Like, you want a receiver that's about 6'3", 210, 215 pounds. Uh, he could just – he had a knack for scoring touchdowns. I, I said before that uh, I was, like, 10 years old when he left. I didn't understand that. I was like, why are you letting him – he was really good. Why are we letting him leave? Because I didn't understand the business side of things. So I understand that for him it was a business decision to go and for them to let him go. But – so I wish that he would have stuck around, but I also understand looking back now, business business. I had a re- real weird moment when he said 16 years ago, because I was like, holy crap, he really was on the Packers 16 years ago. It's a weird thing of players you watch when you were little. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, he was always kind of an entertaining wide receiver for me to watch. I feel like, and, again, like you said, it's a while ago, so I could be remembering it just highlights, but I feel like he was a great jump ball receiver too, like he'd go and get the ball. And pairing with Favre, I just – I don't know. He that one season he just was super dynamic. I remember the game after Favre's dad died, just that bomb down the field that um Walker just made an incredible catch. Uh and I don't know, that's just one that sticks with sticks with me just because obviously with the whole Favre situation that game it was a memorable 
whole game. But Javon was one I definitely wish could stay. But like you said, business. Thinking about that, thinking about his dad, that game with his dad and like that catch that Walker made. Sorry for interrupting you. I was just no, you're good. Goosebumps thinking about thinking about that game again because I remember coming up the whole all week long, all like every single sports talk show on every network was is far gonna play. Like they'd be talking about it all the time because he was in the middle of that start streak, um, and they're like he could legitimately miss the game, and no one would have faulted him for missing that game. But he showed up. Walker showed up for him. Like you said, he's a great jump ball receiver. He knew how to like he knew how to use his body to go get balls that just he shouldn't have been able to get. And with a gunslinger like Favre that would throw the ball anywhere, that was what you needed. And it was a match. It was a perfect match. Yeah, I, I actually watched some highlights of the game recently. Again, just because we were talking about last week with Javon Walker's career. And seeing the guys who Favre was throwing to in that game, like Wesley Walls, who was already at that point a washed-up veteran tight end, David Martin, and then you have Javon Walker. You, ha- you have all those guys. And it was, again, it's over 15 years ago. Like, it's amazing what was going on, and I remember with Walker that next year he decided to hold out for a new contract and missed all of camp, and then he comes back, blows his knee on the fir- in the first or second game, and after that he gets traded. So it's one of those things where it yeah, things just backfired and they, they soured quickly, kind of like with Jennings, but with Walker it all became what could have been, and if he could have stayed with Favre his entire career and then later on Rodgers with his size and ability to go get jump balls, it's it's it would have been impressive to see what he could have produced in Green Bay because he had all the talent in the world. Like And, and just like both of you guys, I was in my early teens. I was, I was 12 or 13 when he had that big year. And it was one of those ones where, man, this guy was amazing. The 84 jersey was flying off shelves. I remember I saw all my friends wearing them. And then he's gone. Like that, it was, it was a, new, a new new lead for the Packers. Vibers started to take over, and they were trying to find other receivers, whether it was Robert Ferguson or Corin Robinson or whoever they had. They just couldn't re- really replace Javon Walker until Greg Jennings. And he, he was a guy where he was so talented. It was just one of the ones where I do wonder what could have happened. I'm with both you guys on that. For the sorry, I was cutting you off, but for the Packers, when I see number 84, Javon Walker is still kind of the first player I think of. Like if I see a Packers jersey number 84, for some reason Walker's always the guy I think of first. That's that's what I think of. I'm yeah. I'm with you there. I don't I don't have an that's the Sterling that, chart. That's that's oh. fair. But like as we as uh, Mike, as I talked to you and Tyler about last week. Sterling Sharp was retired, or at least I was too young to remember him. I've seen highlights of him, but Walker, I have live action, seen it, seen it happen, have memories of him playing. So I understand that there's going to be older Packer fans that listen to this, and they're like, yeah, no, that's Sterling Sharp for me. But for me, it's like Jimmy, it's Walker. I, that's who I've seen, who I know, and that's who I will. Until someone comes along and does something more special than he, than he did, I don't have somebody to replace that number with. He almost got replaced for me. I do have an 84 jersey, but it is Jared Aberderis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which could have been, which would have been awesome for the local kid to make the 84 number relevant again, but the last concussions are no joke. But with that being said, we'll move on to the next one. And, and my first pick, I'm going to go over to the defense, and this was a guy who joined the Packers late in his career, and that's Julius Peppers. Uh, I remember when he got released by the Bears... I joked about how funny it would be if the Packers signed him, and then they did. And Ted Thompson finally making a splash again. And 
everyone thought he was done. He was washed up. He was old. He had been playing for 15 years already at that point. But he comes in, has 25 sacks in three years, has two pick sixes, formed a great uh, trio with Clay and Perry. And uh, what, what, with what he brought to the team is not much different than what Zadarius brought from the, a leadership standpoint as well. He wasn't as loud or boisterous as Zadarius, but Peppers brought that calm, elder statesman type vibe to the locker room, and it, and it really helped solidify that defense. Where, like, in 2014, that defense wasn't, was, they were pretty good, and he, and he was a key part of that. And having him leave, and it, from him saying he wanted to come back, and then I don't blame him for going back home to Carolina, which was a good fit. I mean, he played in North Carolina, played for the Panthers for however many years. He's going to the Hall of Fame, but if he could have played a few more years in Green Bay, how much better is that pass rush? And one, do they not re-sign Nick Perry to that big contract? And then what happens afterwards? So it's a different thing with Peppers, but uh, what are your guys' thoughts on on Pep? I I really wish he would have stayed. Um Looking at his first year back in Carolina, he had 11 sacks, so it's not like he didn't have anything left in the tank. And they used him more of the situational rusher, which at that point in the career, like that's that's what you expect, you know. And like you you mentioned this too, he I understand, and I'm I'm glad he got to finish his career where he started it in Carolina. Like I always like when players kind of go back. Um, so I'm not I would have been way more upset if he left for like another team other than the Panthers, if we let him walk for that. But wish he would have stayed, but I'm also happy on how he ended here. It kind of gives me, like, Charles Woodson vibes. Like, uh, a guy that he was he was great before he got here, and then he was obviously a new era of that team and helped us go to a Super Bowl. And then, or like, I, I'm talking about Woodson. And then he went home. Like, he went back to Oakland. If, if Woodson had gone anywhere else, we would have felt the same way if Peppers had gone to, say, Cleveland, for example, like if he had gone somewhere that wasn't like Carolina's home for him, I, I'd imagine he probably still lives in Carolina, just playing the odds here. He had like played that first year back in Carolina, had 11 sacks. That's more than he had in any of his three years with Green Bay. Um, it's tough to see him leave. Um, it also kind of, when he was there, I kind of wish that we had had a 4-3 defense just for him because... Like, yeah, he was great in his role, and he adapted to playing as a, like, stand-up, like, 3-4 edge rusher, linebacker that could, like, drop in coverage sometimes. But the guy was the guy was just a crazy, crazily built human. 6'7", 295, that's you – can, you can't teach that size. His athleticism was crazy. Um, and I just – I loved watching him play. And the fact that he had two picks and both of them were pick sixes is honestly pretty <laughs> hilarious. But he was – like you said, yeah, he brought that veteran leadership. Like, he was 34 in his first year in Green Bay, and he kind of just went about his job and did his thing and came and came and left. It would have it would have been nice for him to stay, but I also I also understood where Green Bay was at the time. Like, you had Nick Perry, who was younger and seemingly the better guy, and it makes more sense to keep him on the books than to keep Peppers, and you got to make a decision. But One, him, him going back to Carolina – I think it's a great decision for him. Worked out for him, too. One weird, it's kind of crazy to me, stat for him is in his 17 seasons, he had more seasons where he finished with double-digit sacks than not. So, like, 10 seasons he finished with double-digit sacks. Only seven of them uh, he didn't, which is just crazy. For someone in the league that long, usually there's, like, a drop-off. But for him, he just was consistent for 17 years, which is nuts. That 07 season's weird. He had two-and-a-half sacks. 
Other than that, he had more than he had seven or more in all seasons, other than his final, where he only started eight games. But he had two and a half sacks in fourteen games played that year. Yeah, I I almost want to know what the hell happened in that season. Yeah, I don't know. The, he he might have battled injuries. We like we I don't remember for sure. I just remember when he got drafted. I remember because I got his rookie card because it, it I think it would that year was Houston's first year in the league, so it was David Carr and then Julius Patton, ah. if I remember right. It was it was either that year or it was the year when Eli got drafted. I can't remember. Uh, that was the David Carr oh. draft, yes. David Carr draft, yeah. So Peppers was a slam. Well, he was a slam dunk known as the best player in the draft. So it was became he became a star right away. But yeah, it was one of those things where I I just, I just remember those two pick sixes that he had. To see a guy that big who was out running running backs and stuff down the field and having be having been told to do a Lambo leap was always really really fun. But with that being said, it's time for us to keep going. So, Jimmy, who's your second player? Yeah, uh, so staying on the defensive side, a player that I wish kind of would have stayed with the Packers or even just retired his last season with the Packers is Aaron Cantman. Uh, he he came on strong in 2006-07. Um, he had 15.5 sacks, then 12 sacks, and then 2008 he had 9.5. Um, 2009 he ended up getting hurt, only played in nine games, went to Jacksonville, was injured both seasons, only played eight games his first year, and then um, the second year didn't start a single game, and that was his last year in 2011, which I just kind of wished in 2009 when he kind of had that half season with the Packers that he would have retired and he would have retired a Packer. But he's just a player he came on, and I don't know. For some reason, he's one of the first, like, defensive players that I just really gravitated to. Usually I'm just like an – always liked watching offenses because it was a big splash plays, but Aaron Cantman was like the first defensive player that I was um, really into as a Packer fan, so uh, just wish he would have stayed. I loved the duo of him and uh, KBG, Kabir Gabaja, Biamilla, or Biamia, I've heard it both ways, but like I loved watching those two play, and Cantman was, Cantman was a fun guy to watch, like he started out his career real slow. Like, he had two and a half sacks in his first two seasons and then four and a half, and just he's building, building six and a half. Then he had that expl- that explosion for 15 and a half sacks, uh, 30 hits on the quarterback, had a, just had a great year, was was all around the ball. And I think that – I think if Green Bay sticks with a 4-3, I think that they – because wasn't that the whole big thing of why he left was he either wasn't willing to transition to a 3-4 or they didn't think that he could do it? He did, and then he got hurt. Oh, and I was the first. Well, I wouldn't. I couldn't remember if like they cut him because he got hurt, or if they just felt like they wanted to go in a different direction other than him. He he left in free agency his contract. Gotcha. I just wouldn't. I couldn't because I couldn't remember like what his like. I knew that, that he was either a free agent or cut. I just couldn't remember which one it was. Yeah, he was he was fun to watch, and he was just, he he was always making plays. Like that three year period where he was just all over the quarterback all the time was. Like let's see, twenty-seven and a half plus nine and a half. So he's like like thirty-eight sacks in thirty-eight sacks in like three years. That's pretty good numbers. It's pretty damn good numbers. And he's and then he just was gone, gone in an instant. And it just it sucks to see a guy just go down like that. Like he retired at thirty-two, and he had really good years in Green Bay. And he probably could have just stuck around as a rotational edge rusher, but they let him go. And then he didn't retire in Green Bay. He retired as a guy that not flamed out because obviously he had had like a 10-year career to that point, but like you play three games in Jacksonville and it's just done. Yeah. You brought up uh, you brought up KGB, and now that's just, I feel, it sucks because he's another defensive player I love. it. 
he's now added to the list. Like when I hear his name, I just kind of like cringe. I'm just like, ah, oh, KGB. I, yeah. I want to remember him as the defensive force, not the man who joined the cult. What? Hold on. Go go to sportsillustrator.com. You'll find. Yeah, Thanks. three three part series. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Yep, I. And, and and now that his brother commentates American Ninja Warrior too. Wait, oh, <laughs> so wait, this just came out. A couple weeks. How did I miss that? All right, we'll we'll talk about. I'll, I'll get you're into not, that you're later. Not, you're not in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought Packers Twitter would have had me on that one. They let me down. <laughs> no, but but go with back with Cam and uh, again Iowa guy. So I get a lot of Mike Daniels vibes with that mm-hmm. too. Like because both guys kind of started out slow, uh, rotational guys, but then they both became. Full-time players, premier rushers, good all-around players, and and more than anyone else, Campman got hurt by the switch to the three-four, and and you guys both kind of touched on it. But when Capers came in, he had to cut weight, he moved to to the edge, and he never was quite the fit. He was always kind of that meat and potatoes type rusher. He was always like the prototypical four-three defensive end. Whether a guy like Robert Quinn would be a good comparison, or just anyone in that kind of mold. He wasn't meant to be a stand-up outside linebacker, and he just never fit in that Packers defense the year, the last year there. Goes to Jacksonville, and then, inj- like I said, injuries kind of hit him. So it was one of those ones where I remember when he left, I was not happy because he was one of my favorite players as well during that time. Because he seemed to be a kind of like a self-made type of player. Like, late-round pick, blue-collar guy, and he really found a way to explode onto the scene with those 15-and-a-half sacks and and then he never, and after those last couple of years, he couldn't quite replicate it again. So it was one of those ones where I'm with both of you guys. I think it would have been great to see him finish his career in Green Bay. But again, we can't always get what we want. The Rolling Stones. Are <laughs> so, so Gage, who do you got as your next guy? My next guy is I had two. I had two guys that I considered here, and we'll get to the other one uh, here in a second because Jimmy took him. I had Josh Sitton was my next guy. Um, Josh Sitton was the face of that offensive line in my like for like the first half of this decade he was he wasn't the biggest guy wasn't the strongest guy this guy just showed up did his work uh a term that I would like he's a lunch pail guy showed up did his job did it at a really good level uh him and uh TJ Lang formed a really really strong guard duo uh you loved seeing I love seeing his hair like if when his hair was in the lineup I, w- I had confidence that Rodgers was going to have a good day just because Sitton was going to keep that spot. That spot in the offensive line was locked in. He wasn't going to get bowled over by anybody. He had a really good job to anchor. Uh, and just I loved watching him. I loved watching him play. Uh, guards don't get the publicity they deserve just because, like, you can't you can't really get stats on guards other than pancakes. And everybody loves pancakes. But I just – it really sucked when he left, like because the whole there was the whole thing that he was the he was the surprise cut. Just like there's one every year. There's the Mike Daniels cut, Justin and Jordy Nelson, everybody. There's always one. And Sitton was the guy that got cut that one time, and the whole rumor was that he like it was his attitude, or he like McCarthy didn't agree with the way that he carried himself around the locker room, or something like that. If I remember correctly, that was the rumor that got around. And I felt like he was always a good leader. Like I never felt like he was out in the media saying things out of turn or saying things he shouldn't be saying. And Green Bay cut him right when he was he was near the end of his like prime. He was 29. Was that was his final? He was 29 his final season in Green Bay. He had three more years that. 
and he was a pro bowler his first year in Chicago. And it's tough to see him go to a rival. We had to see him four more times over the next two years. And you hate seeing guys that you love to watch play leave, but you hate seeing them go to a division rival that you got to see all the time. So if he had gone to, like, Miami for three years, I would have been less bothered by it. But instead, he went to Chicago for two years, and we had to watch that happen. No, I really I really like Josh Sitton, too. I remember when he got released, I was just, like you said, he was the, the surprise cut of that year. I, I don't know. I was bummed. I really... I really love the relationship him and T.J. Lang formed. They remind me of the um, the Mighty Ducks. What is it, the Smash Bros from the Mighty the, Ducks? The Bash Brothers. Bash Brothers, that's it. I was thinking Mario. Um, I just watched Mighty Ducks a couple weeks ago, so that's how I had it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I really like those two, and I thought they gave our off- offensive line kind of uh, like just an attitude, an edge. Like, we're not going to get pushed over. If you're going to cheap shot someone, like you – if someone on the offense got cheap shot, you know Sitton was going to be the first one there, is what I really liked about him, too. I felt like he had everyone's back, which is a good leadership thing. You want a guy on your team that you know is going to hit someone with a helmet if you have to. Just kidding. Don't do that, Miles Garrett. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm with you guys. And it's, it's always interesting with offensive linemen, how we, o- we always see more than any other position that we expect linemen to stay with the team forever. We saw with Clifton and Tauscher as well with the Packers. Like, they were Packers forever. And they'll always be Packers. They only played in green and gold. Uh, I think we all kind of expected that with T- with TJ Lang and and Sitton. And I think a lot of us are kind of expecting that with Bakhtiari as well. And if I remember right, the reports on Sitton were that the team wasn't did offer him a new contract in the training camp, and he wasn't happy about it. And because they they prioritized Bakhtiari because he got the contract that camp, I think as well. But then they they just up and cut him, and they trusted Lane Taylor who had had a terrible preseason to take over, and luckily he succeeded. But Sitton was a guy where he, like, describing him as a lunch pal guy is, is accurate. He came mid-round pick out of, I think, central Florida, and just came in. He started right away. Like, he, he came in, solidified that spot, and you knew you didn't have to worry about it. He was durable. He was hard-nosed. He was, as Jimmy said, the attitude of, of that offense. And then T.J. Lang joined in a couple years later and became the other attitude with that team where you know that they were going to stand up for your guys if you took an unnecessary hit. It definitely was weird. But now it seemed like Bridges got mended when he came back last I think it was last year when him and T.J. brought the team out together and they both shot, chugged beers right on the field. So I think, I think Bridges are there, and we'll see him in the Packer Hall of Fame fairly soon. Yeah, and I actually remember a story about uh, that T.J. Lang had told. It was either right after the Super Bowl or in the run-up to it where uh, they asked him about they'd asked him about Sitton, and uh, he said that Sitton one day had basically told him that he needed to like quit, quit screwing around. Like He said that he had the skills to be the best guard in the NFL and be better than he was. And he, but he wasn't taking his job. He's like, you need to take your job serious. You have the skills to be the, the best guy in the league doing what you're doing. So get it together. And then that's when he like really turned it on and had his run of just being one half of that elite guard duo that Green Bay had. So I felt that that was really him. Like he was the he was the leader, and he may not have been like the vocal leader. Like he was the enforcer, but he like behind closed doors, everybody loved him and he knew how to get the most out of the other guys with him. 
Plus, you can't forget his legendary role in the hit movie Pitch Perfect. Dude, he was so good. <laughs> so good in that movie. Did you see? Did you guys see the, um, the interview T.J. Lang had on Pat McAfee? He said after uh, Sitton got cut, like, he was mad at... Uh, Blame Taylor and like wouldn't talk to him for a little bit because he blamed uh, he blamed him for sitting leaving. Wow. Well, I'm sure then Taylor smoked him some ribs. And yeah, yeah. Then he said even too, he's like, no, I realized I was being dumb and I really like Lane Taylor now. But he's like, yeah, for a good month I was just really mad at him. I'm like, yeah. Well, with that being said, I'll go to my next one and I'll stay in the offensive line. I'll do a different guard from an earlier era, and that is Mike Wall. Uh, I remember those those five years much like we had with Sitton and Lang. You had Wall and Rivera. Uh, Marco Rivera was a great right, uh, great guard, but Mike Wall I thought was even better. He was he had the feet of a tackle, he had the mentality of of a guard to be like that bulldog type guy. I came out of I think Navy. Yes, he did. And then he be and and he was such and he was just he just fit that lunch pail type system. And he 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 protected Farwell. He's a good player. Then he left. But then the Sherman era contract came back to roost, and they had so many bad ones that they had to let guys go, like Rivera and Wall. And Wall goes to Carolina and still has a very productive career. And I can't help but think with those offensive line, because after that you had to rotate guys like William Whitaker starting at guard, and Adrian Clem, and Gray Rugemer, and, and guys who just weren't remotely close to the same player as Wall or Rivera. And it makes you wonder if you have those interior linemen around what the the later Favre offenses could have been even better, and whether they get to another Super Bowl, stuff like that. But uh, do you guys remember much about Mike Waller? I know we were all still pretty young when, when that stuff happened. but Truthfully, I don't know. I don't remember much of him. Um, I remember him a little bit. Uh, I always, like, I played a lot of Madden growing up, and obviously played with Green Bay, and Mike Wall and Marco Rivera were the starting guards, and I knew that Wall was good. I didn't really remember much of his on-field stuff because that was before I had an appreciation for, like, guard play. Looking at his PFR page and seeing he was 6'6 is pretty incredible because that's, especially during that time, that was considered tall for guards. Like, even now, you don't necessarily see guards that tall that often. Like, Quentin Nelson's 6'5", and he's considered pretty, he's considered really tall for a guard. But you, when you say that he had this, like the skills to be a tackle or a guard, you're right. At six six three zero four, that's what you look for with tackles coming out now. They want a guy that's about six four, six five, six six, and three hundred pounds because he's still got good feet and he's got the strength to anchor. And Wall was part of that. He was there during the Amon Green era. He was there when Green Bay could run the ball on teams and not just get not just get bowled over. Like when he left. When he left was when, like, the Ryan Grant era kind of kicked off. And I'm trying to remember, who was in between Green and Amon, or Amon Green and Ryan Grant? Was that, like, the Najee Davenport years? Davenport. Sam Congato was a part of it. Brandon yeah, Jackson, they, they, they too, right? Wrote, they kind of uh, – Jackson was during yeah. Grant. Like, he was – Yeah. But they kind of wrote – they couldn't, they couldn't find it back after Amon. Yeah, so it was really. – so, but when you have a road grader like Wall was and like Rivera was, like, having a, an elite guard duo makes life – really easy to run the ball, I think. Like, having tackles is important for passing. Having a great interior core like Wall and uh, Wall and Rivera just makes life easier on everybody because it keeps, like, your interior pocket clean and it just allows you to start running the ball well. So I don't know, I don't remember a ton of his work on the field, but I do remember, like, people talking about how good he was. Well, and, and 
you guys talked earlier about how guards are never really well known because they they don't get the attention and and really unless your name is Jerry Kramer, no guards don't really talk to the media very much. Kramer just because he wrote a book became that kind of a big name. But I remember those early two thousands lines where you had Clifton, Rivera, Flanagan, or Wells, and then Wall and Tauscher. Like that that line was like you said it, it helped Amon Green set records. Like he like Amon Green ran for eighteen hundred yards and didn't win the rushing title. Like that showed how good that line was. Like it, like those guys were so good, and then having them, having to lose them because of bad cap management, which led to the emergence of Ted Thompson and Russ Ball, really solidified how good they were because you couldn't afford to keep them. And so I think with with those guys, it's it's a, it's always I always go back to those late Favre years and what could have been because it it makes you wonder if they if Favre doesn't throw that pick against the Giants and, and they go and win the Super Bowl. Maybe he retires then. We don't have the whole fiasco that came afterwards. So it's, it's always, if a couple players could have stayed, they could have done a couple things differently, do we not go through the heartache that was 2008? But with that being said, we each got one more player, and I think we're staying on the offensive line, Jimmy, with you, so let's just keep top right into it. <laughs> All right, yeah, we, I already mentioned him a few times, but uh, I'm going with TJ Lang. Like you said, he or I've already mentioned too. He was just kind of an attitude guy too. He knew he had everyone on the offensive line's back, and I think T.J. Lang. I want I kind of give him credit for he was the first. I embarrassingly was just a lot of really into just like the flash plays on the offense. Like I obviously love running backs, wide receivers, people who are making big plays. But T.J. Lang was like the first player to get me into the offensive line, just seeing how dominant they can be and just the skills that they have, and T.J. Lang just, he was great for the Packers. In his final year with the Packers, he didn't allow a single sack. Uh, 2015, he only allowed two of them. He had one bad year in 2012 where he allowed uh, nine sacks, so besides that, he was always really good in the pass game, um, which allowed Rodgers, obviously, to, well, which helped Rodgers stay clean and show off the God-given arm he has. So uh, I love Lang, one half of the Bash brothers, and I don't know. I like, if you haven't realized yet, I kind of like the people with the FU attitude that can, just has everyone's back and will fight somebody if you have to. Um, yeah, I would, like I said or before, uh, Sitton told Lang he could go be the best guard in the NFL, and Lang was, if not the best guard, he was easily like top three consistently. He was, he was always, he showed up 90% of the time, like he played, after becoming a full-time starter in 2011, he started every game possible. He missed two, and then in his final year in Green Bay, he missed three games. So he still started all of them, all the time, because he was so invaluable. In games that he did miss, you saw Green, you saw how much of a liability Green Bay had as like as a backup offensive lineman. After missing on so many offensive lineman picks, like they had hit on the group of Bakhtiari, Sitton, Lang, Corey Lindsley, but that was right near the end of the T.J. Lang era, and but they had whiffed on backup picks. And it showed when Lang was out of the lineup because the guy that was behind him just did not have nearly the chops that he did. Lang was 6'4", 315 pounds. He, out of Eastern Michigan, he had a really, like, mean attitude. Like you said, I'm going to, like, what's the, I'm going to assert my will on you and you're going to do what I want to do. The fact that he only made two Pro Bowls shows how unheralded he was because the guys that were getting to go to those Pro Bowls were probably not as good as he was. They just were more popular. Um, and I think that if he had been on, 
like an American, like if he had been in Dallas, say for like those years and played at that level, he probably would have made a Pro Bowl for six years in a row. Yeah, and he he's a player too. Where I said this with Julius Peppers, I don't mind that he went to Detroit. I if I had a preference, obviously I wish he would retire to Packer. But I understand him going back to like his his home team and wanting to play for them until he left. But I don't know if I if I had it my way, he would have stayed in Green. Gold. It was even like a, a couple of days ago. He actually someone asked him, "What what would it cost you to come back out and play one more?" He goes, "If someone would give me their brain, because the, oh, yeah. his career was ended by injuries. Like he he still want he he had concussion yeah. issues and back issues. But you talk about having that kind of nasty you want on the line. Lang was that guy, and even more even more than sitting. Because if you remember any play where Rogers took an unnecessary hit or got held out of bounds, who was the first player there? It was Lang, and he was. I think it was against Dallas where they took a, it was a playoff game where he took, like someone took a late hit and Lang just knocked the guy in the next week and just threw him out of he threw him away and it was incredible to watch and that after when he left that and Sitton left that kind of that kind of heart kind of disappeared to an extent like they didn't have that that enforcer like they had with those two guys and and but it's good to see TJ. Still being somewhat active, you, I see pictures of him doing stuff at his house and stuff in Michigan, and and he came back to Green Bay last year. So it's always good to see that kind of stuff. And if they're smart, they'll put him and sitting in the Packer Hall of Fame together. I think that would be that would be really really cool. Well, that being said, I'll jump into my last one because Gage's last one is kind of a fairly big one. So we'll I'm actually, by the way, I'm making a slight audible. We are still talking about my last one, but I have one more that we need to talk about that I didn't think of until a couple okay. minutes ago. But we can go to yours first. We'll go mine. We'll go back to that far veer, but we're going to go back to the defense. And for me, it's Mike McKenzie. Now, I remember he he was, for me, their number one corner his entire time there. He was he was that guy. And with him and Al Harris, when they teamed up together on, on opposite sides, you knew you could put two guys on an island and not have to worry about them. And when he held out and then got traded to New Orleans, I, I thought I thought Mike Sherman was a moron. And I and it, it, I thought it was going to hurt the team for a long time, and to an extent that it, it did, but then they brought in Woodson. But with with McKenzie, he was unheralded, but he was a guy who you knew was going to cover his man every single time. He wasn't going to make mistakes. He wasn't going to get beat. If he, if he got beat, it was because the guy was better than him, not because he made, not because he screwed up. And seeing that number 34 and seeing those dreadlocks flying down the field was always an entertaining thing in the early 2000s. And so, uh, I guess for you guys, what do you do? You have any memories of Mike McKenzie? Uh, I have one of my. So my sister, like I mentioned before, this was McKenzie. She had like a build a bear and named it McKenzie. Um, she, uh, my parents got her a Christmas gift of him, and we went to the training camp that year. And she, it's when you know most of the players would go on the bikes, but there are some players and then drive to practice and didn't really go by the fans. And McKenzie was one of them, and she went over to the fence and was just yelling his name, finally got his attention, and uh, lied to him and, like, threw this picture and was like, this is the almost only Christmas gift I got all year. Will you sign it for me? And so he came over, like, picked it up, signed it, and handed it back to her. But that's my biggest uh, McKenzie memory is my sister lying to him to get an autograph. I respect the hustle. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, McKenzie was – what McKenzie was a special talent. Uh, I loved watching him. Like I loved watching him match up with everybody because, like I said before, we got on here. I felt like we had a corner that I was okay. I was like, you know what? He's fine. Like I was comfortable with him on one half of the field, 
and with whoever he was covering. He was going up against he was going up against Randy Moss twice a year, and just some of the other great receivers that were in the like the first part of that 2000s decade. But I had confidence in him doing that, and you don't always have that in your cornerback. He never he didn't make a single Pro Bowl in his entire career, but. I thought he deserved it. He had six picks one year, five in his uh, final like half season in Green Bay. Oh, wait, no, those all came in New Orleans. Never mind. But he still had four in Green Bay, um, had a nose for the end zone turn, had two pick sixes, uh, had 18 passes defense in two di- two separate seasons. He he found a way to get around the ball. At, like He was only six foot tall, 194 pounds, but that's decent size. And he always knew how to get his hand on the ball in some way, shape, or form. Whether, like if he had to... Like, however he had to fight to get there, he was going to make that play. You're not going to get that out of all of your corners. Like, you're going to have some guys who are just going to try and wait and just take the tackle and be like, hey, I gave up a five-yard game, but I didn't give up a ten-yard game or whatever. He was going for the ball. He was making plays on the ball. Uh, He was a third-round pick, so you like seeing Green Bay continue to get value out of those not not first-round guys. Like, some teams teams can never do that. They're like, oh, well, this team's great because they've – hit on all of their first-round picks for the last six years, but look at their third and later rounds, and they're not doing as well. Versus Green Bay, in the past decade alone, they continue, they consistently do that over and over. They get guys in third, fourth, fifth rounds that can contribute, and McKenzie is just another example of that 20 years ago. Yeah, it, he signed with Drew, sorry, he signed with Drew Rosenhaus, right? right? So, yeah, and, and then for his agent? Yeah, I was going to say, that's, he's, the, he's the guy who made me realize... I hated Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah, that's fair. After him holding out. Yeah, that's fair. I, I remember, yeah, he was a rookie back in 1999. So we think all the way back then. But I was four. <laughs> I was but he, six picks that year, 18 pass defenses, started all 16 games on the left side. So you had McKenzie on the left, you had Harris on the right. The first couple of years you had Leroy Butler and Sharper back at safeties. So he had a he had a pretty good secondary on the field. Let's we'll leave it there. But with Mike McKenzie, I think with him and Harris, if McKenzie had stayed, and then you bring in Woodson, if you bring him in later, that's as good of a trio as you will find anywhere. Whether it's Amer whether it's American football, Canadian football, it doesn't matter. You will, Mike McKenzie, Harris, and Woodson would have been a dominant trio. And it's again if he, if he if he had gone with the right agent and stayed in Green Bay, I think. The most far, far years might end a little bit differently. So, speaking of, we can talk briefly if you want, Gage, or if not, we can just go to one you wanted to use. No, 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 no. I still want to talk about Brett Favre. We're going to get there. But Amon Green needs to be talked about. Except he did end his career in Green mm. Bay. Yeah, I don't, I, I, yeah, but he didn't end it completely in Green Bay. And he wasn't even the full-time starter in that season. And... The fact that he wasn't the NFL's rushing leader when he had over 1,800 yards is insane. He went for 2,000. Damn you, Jamal Lewis. That year is nuts. 1,883 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns, 50 receptions, 5 touchdowns. That's just nuts. One-third of his carries went for first downs. Green Bay didn't have another rusher as productive as him for like until Ryan Grant showed up and Ryan Grant didn't show up until the playoffs anyway. It's just it's crazy to see that and, and I don't think he gets talked about enough as one of like that because in that part, first 6 years like from 2000 to 2006 he, that was the Jamal Lewis, Sean Alexander, Ladanian Tomlinson, uh Marshall Falk just I I, I was I wasn't going to forget him. I was trying to think of just 
those there's all these elite guys that are talked about about as they're the greatest like some of the greatest guys to ever do it. And Amon Green was putting up the same numbers that they were, just in a different just in a different team. And I don't know if it's just because his final three years were so underwhelming, or what the case, what the case may be. But I mean, it was he hit thirty and he hit the thirty year old running back wall. So I don't understand why he doesn't get the praise that some of the other guys at his position do, despite putting up the exact same numbers. He was four, to, I mean, he was Pro Bowler for four years in a row. What else? What else do you want out of the guy? That, but that was just—I just wanted to mention him. I don't know what your guys. I think he got are. overshadowed a bit by Favre, because that was Favre's streak. What became a big thing team. was Favre's team. And then he talked about the guys. Yeah, Sean Alexander won an MVP. But Ian Thompson was an MVP. Marshall Falk was was throwing up ridiculous numbers on the greatest show on turf. Curtis Martin was winning rushing titles. You had Edrin James, Clinton Portis. You had all of these running backs. That that the early two thousands was just a heyday. For four running backs. I mean, Jerome Bettis was still going. Deuce Staley, Brian Westbrook. You could go on and on and on. It was just a, such a ridiculous era for four backs. And then it faded away. Now it looks like it's coming back again. But when, when Green left for Houston, it seemed like part of the offense kind of died. Because once Amon got his fumbles under control after the trade from Seattle, you're right. He was one of the top two or three backs in the league every single year. He could catch. He was a big play. He was he could run between the tackles. He had that breakaway speed. He had everything, and the, and he also had the best nickname in football as Batman. So you can't really complain about that either. And it was one of those things when he came back. He as he was a shell of his former self, but he he did come back. He broke Jim Taylor's career rushing record, wearing well wearing a different number because John Coon had number thirty. But it was it was good to see him come back and finish his career. But I do wish he had played his entire time in Green Bay. I think you're right on that one, Gage. Jimmy, got anything? Uh, no, I feel like you guys hit it. I I love Damon, but <clears throat> he just he's in an era where there are so many good running backs, and when you have Brett Favre just being Brett Favre, it's easy to get overshadowed. So I always loved Damon. I'm pretty sure he was my first Packer jersey, but no, I don't really have much to add. All right. On... On to the final, the final guy that I think everyone in Packerland agrees should have just retired at the end of 07. Like, they should have won a Super Bowl, and then he should have retired, and it should have been great. Brett Favre. That was my final guy. We were in the final round of little, our little pick em to see who was going to talk about who, and Favre was my guy. That was the guy that whenever someone asks who inspired your love for football, that's, that's it for me because he – he played the game like I was a kid, and he played the game like a kid. He wanted to go out. He wanted to have fun. There's Everybody has seen the clips of him just being a goofball, like asking for cheeseburgers and pancakes on the sideline, talking to Mr. Miyagi and just everything else that he did. And he played the game as a kid all the time. And it was like when the game was meant to – it's a game. At the end of the day, it's a game. Like we talk about how it's a business, and Javon Walker left because it was a business, and Mike McKenzie held out because it's a business, and all this other stuff. But Favre was – just he he was different. He was a different human, and uh, like the throws he made, yeah, he threw more picks than anybody else in history. I I don't really care because he was one of the most fun and exciting players to watch. Um, and I think that if he had played in the modern NFL, that there's I think he would have been even better, put up even better numbers, just because his arm strength is 
something that's insane. Like he is like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are praised for their arm strength, but Brett Favre had arm strength that would win the Atlanta Falcons owner a bet before every home game. And also he completed a pass to himself, which is pretty damn great. So, uh, but yeah, so that's my brief rant about Brett Favre and how he was amazing and how he won three MVPs in a row. So yeah, no, I'm with you. Brett Favre too is another. He's my first memory of loving football is Brett Favre. He's just so exciting. And I don't know. I still I still forget he played for the Jets. That's the weirdest thing is I always like whenever I picture Favre, I think, Oh, Packers and Vikings, I forget he had that random year with the Jets in the middle. Uh and he, he had a game with the Jets where he threw six touchdowns too, so it's not like he was a complete scrub there, but yeah, yeah no, I had twenty two touchdowns came in one game. <laughs> he was battling injuries that year, wasn't he too? Yeah. Dude, man, he, I, Brett Favre, man, he was, he was amazing to watch. He was super fun. Obviously, you wish it ended differently and just, ah, just don't throw an interception against the Giants, Favre. Win us the Super Bowl. Go off in the sun. This is all your fault, Corey Webster. You had to make that <laughs> pick. Yeah, that's the thing. Is, is if he had retired after 07, if they go and win the Super Bowl, that whole thing doesn't happen. He doesn't go to Minnesota. He ends up being the, the lovable Southern hick that, we, that we've loved for 20 years. Like, I remember I was five years old and Super Bowl 31 happened. And he, watching him throw the touchdown to Ryzen, I was, I, my family let me stay up to watch the game. Because I was still doing it with, like, kindergarten. But it was so much fun watching him look like a kid. Like, like, like Gage said, he, he had that childlike love. And he was also tough to the point of stupidity. Where he was getting concussions, he was breaking fingers, he had a, he was having knee injuries. Like, and he still kept going. And he, he was an Iron Man. He, and seeing that kind of toughness made you feel like he was one of your own, like he was part of your family because you knew he was going to do whatever it took to play. And we talked in the very beginning with Javon Walker about the game after his dad died. He was tough, and he knew his dad wanted to play, so he went and played that game. And he, and he was, and that was mentally tough. He, he his, his, his stuff we went through with his wife and her, and her cancer and stuff like that. Just the way that he he comported himself on and off the field as a Packer made him the epitome of and the face of the NFL for a long time, and it, we all wish it could have ended differently. And again, if if they beat the Giants and they go and they win, they go beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl that year. I think he he walks up into the sunset, walks off into Lambeau history, walks into the Hall of Fame, and nothing that happened afterwards happens, and it's. The memories that we could have continued instead of having that that awkward taste from 2008, I think if that's gone, it's so much better. And then we have we then we all remember far for what we should remember for. Do you guys get pissed off when anytime there's someone that just has a strong arm, they go, "Oh, he's just he's reminds me of Brett Favre." I feel like we throw Brett Favre around way too much when we talk about young quarterbacks. I don't know if I get pissed off per se, but I also think. No, he doesn't have. I'm like, no, he doesn't have Brett Favre arm strength. Josh, like the only two guys in the NFL right now that I would say have that are Josh Allen and Mahomes. Those Josh Allen has dumb, dumb country arm. Dude's dude's arm's nuts. Not very accurate, but he's got dumb country Brett Favre arm. Patrick Mahomes is freak built different human being arm. But Brett Favre's arm, like I, that's the story I remember most about. Like that's like his Atlanta time is he caught his own pass and then 
the owner would walk around to, or like it was either the owner or the GM or somebody would go up to the coach to the coach of the other team and say, "Hey, I bet my third ra- third uh, string quarterback can throw it into the top rafter." He's like, "No, he can't." And then he'd do it, and then he'd win like a five thousand dollar bet. And like that's dumb arm strength. You don't see that anymore. That's the guy that is playing right field and he hoses you at third base from the foul pole, and you're just like, "How? How does that happen?" Brett Favre had that arm strength to do just things that the arm shouldn't be able to do to make throws as far as he could. There was never a throw that I thought, that's too far. Like, Rodgers, there's, I'm like, there's no throw he can't make. Versus Favre, I'm like, there's nowhere, he will always overthrow everybody if he needs to. And he can do that every time. So I don't know if I get pissed off per se, but I do also think that there's people that don't realize just how strong Favre's arm was. And to an extent, I think, I think it changes with the generation, because I'm sure Favre got comparisons to Terry Bradshaw when he came in about arm training, because Bradshaw had that stupid country boy arm as well. And now we're seeing it with, with Allen and Mahomes. We saw it with Cutler had that crazy arm. Stafford had that crazy arm coming out. So I think it goes by generations. But Favre's the only one who I can remember who there are stories of him breaking guys' fingers with his throws. Oh, that's the thing I love. I, I love uh, the story of... Yeah, Driver said that he had to relearn how to catch the football because he kept breaking his fingers. And then he went to there's the there's the clip that I know I've seen several times of when he went to Japan and he was throwing to like I don't know who he was throwing to. There was just the, a bunch of Japanese guys that he was throwing footballs to, and he kept breaking their fingers because they didn't know how to catch it because it was coming so hard. And I think that that went to the idea of, you know what, if you're not going to catch it, I'll just throw it into your chest and make sure that you can't drop it type of mentality. And I had that mentality when I played sports. Like when I played football with people, I would try and throw it and just be like, you know what, if you don't catch it, it's okay. I'll just make sure you can't drop it. And that's what Favre did. And I think that if young receivers had to learn how to catch the ball like that, like they had to learn how to catch a ball coming at them 90 miles an hour because he Favre's got a fastball, I think that a lot more guys would have better hands and we would see less, like, drop issues. Yeah, it could be a potential thing. So as we wrap things up for you guys, you guys got any final thoughts on... Um, I, got, I got nothing. It's always fun to look back at, uh, at look back at history and look back at, like, what could have been. Um, like, last week we had the what could have been because of injury. This one we had what could have been because they left. And it it gives you a good, like, 2020, like hindsight's 2020. We all know that. And that's the point of this exercise, to look back and say, oh, what would have been if they didn't mismanage those contracts and McKenzie stuck around in Green Bay? Or, oh, what could have been if Favre doesn't throw that pick to Corey Webster and then they go and have a battle with the 16 or the 17 and 18-0 and 0 Patriots and what happens in that game? And you look back and see just what could have been, and it gives you, it gives you fond memories because you get to remember things, like getting to remember the Favre Raider, like the Favre dad game is great. I think about that game all the time. I think about just the clips of Favre having fun and just that stuff, and it gives you the warm fuzzies, and then at the same time you get a sour taste in your mouth because you're like, damn it, why didn't it go the way that I wanted it to go? So that's that's what I think about it. And like You always remember these guys, and they'll always be in your mind. Like Even if Mike Wall doesn't come to the forefront when you're like, oh, who's your what Packers do you remember the most from the mid-2000s? Oh, Brett Favre, Blah, Blah, Green. No, you, you're not going to think about Mike Wall, but he was there. He was there, and he was a good piece, and he should have been around longer, and he just wasn't. Yeah. No, I, I don't really have anything to add to, but it's just looking back, and there's been so many great Packers, and I don't know. It's a hell of a team. It's, I, I, 
this is reminding me of just looking back of 27 and for most of my life or all of my life, the Packers have been a good team. So it's just weird. Yeah, I'm with both you guys. Like being a history guy, I love looking back on such stuff. These last two weeks have been so much fun for me. But that being said. Things are going to start changing a little bit tomorrow. We're going to be start doing our position previews here on the Pack of Day podcast. Andy will take over with with the Monday team, and they're going to start with quarterbacks. We'll be with you guys next Sunday again with special teams and coaches, everyone's favorite topic. It'll be fun to see how the special teams improves from last year and the coaching staff as well. With, Mo, with most of you back, we'll talk a little bit about Jerry Gray as well and what he brings to the, to the new staff this fall. With that being said, we'll say so long, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pack of Day Podcast and find us wherever podcasts are found. Give us a subscription, a like, a comment. Let us know how we're doing as well, because we're going to be here every day with more Packers content, no matter what. That's why we are called Pack-A-Day. So for Jimmy Christensen, Gage Bridgeford, this is Mike Wellman saying so long for now. Everyone, stay safe, always carry the G, and go Pack-Go. athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.